The following audio is from City Rev Church. For more information about City Rev Church, visit us online at cityrev.org. When I was a kid, the superhero that I remember very first, like pretending to be, like the first hero I ever pretended I was, uh, was Superman. And there's lots of superheroes that uh, I liked and pretended to be and emulated as a kid, but the very first was Superman. And he's kind of like the archetypal, kind of the original superhero. And there's just so much that is, stretches our imagination about Superman. I mean, for starters, I mean, the bullets like bounce off of the guy. He's got superhuman strength. He shoots lasers from his eyeballs, okay? He, can, he flies around. I mean, all these things are unbelievable about Superman. But I think the thing that gets me the most energized about Superman is when there's a crisis and he gets ready to jump into action. He's always ready, okay? He's there, you know, as Clark Kent, you know, a little nerdy. Um, but when he's about to jump into action, like, he's got these tells. He's got these cues. So, like, one of them is he rips off his glasses, like really dramatically, okay? And you're like, oh, he means business now, okay? Just once I want him to rip off his glasses and then throw them on the ground, like make it just one step more dramatic, all right? But then there's another thing that he does. It's one of his cues, and this is the best one, okay? It's where he's like running to a crisis and then he tears open his shirt. You know what I'm talking about? And you see underneath is the Superman suit, which can we just have a side conversation? Like going to work every day with a suit, and a Superman suit underneath sounds hot, okay? So I just like to thank Superman for what he's done. But he'll run down the street, okay, and he tears off his, starts to tear off his shirt because there's a moment of urgency. He can't wait, and he tears off his shirt, and there, right there underneath, you see the Superman suit. He's ready for action. I mean, that's just one of the things about Superman that's incredible. He's always just ready for action. But this stems all the way back to his origin story, and you see, that the origin story dates back. Superman is, is really old. goes back to the 30s. This is a comic from 1948. You see it says, featuring the origin of Superman. And you see, like, the little rocket in the background where he uh, where it's all part of his story. See, the origin story of a superhero is super important. It talks about why, why they have the powers that they do or why do they have the mission or the calling that they do. Why do they continue doing those things? And Superman has one of the most memorable origin stories. And he learns about this in his Fortress of Solitude. And he goes off alone in this like crystal palace looking thing. And while he's there, he hears um, the, the memories and hears from his father, his origin. It actually stems all the way back to his parents, to his father. Their planet, Krypton, was being destroyed. And he takes his son and places him in this rocket. And it sends uh, Superman here to Earth. And Superman finds out about, about his origins and learns that this was all done intentionally by his father. He wanted him not only to learn who he was and represent planet Krypton, but he actually, he wanted to send Superman here to be kind of a guardian, a rescuer here of this planet. It was all started by his father. And that gives shape. Understanding his origin gives this shape and to his mission. It helps guide him and keeps him on his mission. Now, I share all of that about Superman because it relates exactly to what we're talking about today, specifically what the passage teaches us today. And it's that on this journey, this journey we call faith, it's going to require action, but a certain type of action. 
Let me put it like this. Here's what faith is. Faith is action. Action initiated by the Father. Like if there's one big idea that we could walk out of here with that this passage teaches, it's that faith is action. It's action. But it's action initiated by the Father. Now we're kicking off this uh, today our series called Origins. As we're in our, our 20th year as a church and we're coming very quickly on our 20th anniversary, we're through this series going through the truths, the moments, and the scriptures that God has planted in our story. As I look across this room, and I know many of you watching online, I see some that have been a part of this journey from the very beginning, some that came a long time ago, some have joined just recently, some maybe your first or second time here. But if this is your church home, we're a family, that means the whole story, this is part of your story as well. And so I want to take you to a passage of scripture that has shaped who we are, not only how we operate together as a church family, but who we are as individuals, what has shaped us as we go out into the city. I want to take you to a passage of scripture. The first time this was taught at, at our church was about this time of year, 18 years ago, 2002. Summer of 2002 is the first time this passage was taught. And it has been shaping us as a people ever since. I want you to go in your Bible, your Bible app to 2 Kings chapter 4. Open in your Bible to 2 Kings chapter 4. I want to take a look at this, this story that has profoundly shaped us as a church community. 2 Kings chapter 4. Let's take a look at this story together. Here's what it says. Now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord, but the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. And Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what have you in the house? And she said, your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. All right, now let's just pause right there. Let's stop there and... Let's just get our bearings with the context of this passage. The, one of the main figures in this passage is a man by the name of Elisha. He was the leading prophet of that time period in Israel. He is the successor of a guy that has a similar name, Elijah. Elijah trained up Elisha and has now passed the mantle on to him, has passed that role on to Elisha. Elijah and Elisha raised up this group of young men called the sons of the, of the prophets. These are men that they've trained in probably like schools. They have trained up these young men to hear from the Lord and proclaim the Lord's word to, to God's people. Well, one day, a woman approaches Elisha and says to him, your servant, so this is one of the sons of the prophets, one of the young men that Elisha had been training up. He says, your servant, who's my husband, is dead. She's grieving the loss of her husband. She's a widow. And she says, and 
I'm not just dealing with grief here. It's not just a relational loss. There's something more going on. The creditors, I'm in debt. I'm deep in debt. The creditors are coming and they're going to take my two sons as slaves. Now, thousands of years later, we sit and we have thousands of years of different types of slavery. And so we have to discern what specific, what specific uh, di- dimension are they talking about here? What's the dynamic that they're talking about here? In this time in history, if someone could not pay their debts, those, their children would be taken into indentured servitude. In other words, they were not free to go find their own career, their own job, or their own trade. They were forced to work for the person that they were indebted to until they could pay off that debt, which could be a lifetime. And so what this woman is suffering is she's lost her husband. She's about to lose her two sons as well. And if she loses all of them, she will not only just be alone, but that will just sink her deep into poverty and she'll be reduced to basically a beggar. So Elisha says to her two questions and they're really diagnostic. He's discerning the situation. He says, what, what do you want me to do for you? seems like it's obvious, but he's talking more specifically. And then he says, what do you have? And that's a really significant question. She says, I have only, I have nothing. I have only one thing in my entire house. I, I, have, a, I have a jar of oil. I have this jar of oil. She says, I, I don't even have anything to, to cook with it. I don't have any flour or dough or bread. I, I, all I have is one jar of of oil, that's all I have. And man, there's something so significant there because sometimes, and we could go off in a whole different direction with this passage and spend our whole time there. So often when we're looking and waiting for God to provide and wondering how he's, how, how he's gonna work, so often we're looking like out here. But Elisha asks what's right in front of her, well, what she already has because he knows something about God. God is not caught off guard by our circumstances. He's not as surprised as we are. In fact, he's not surprised at all. So he's perfectly and with precision provided the ingredients that he's going to work through. So what do you have? She says, I have one jar of oil. Let's see what God's going to do with that. Let's see what happens next. Let's pick it up in verse 3. Then he said, go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels and not too few. Then go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons and pour into all these vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. Okay, so here's the plan. He says, okay, you got one jar of oil. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to your neighbors and gather a bunch of vessels, jars of various sizes. Go back, and once you're done collecting, go into your house and shut the door. The shutting of the door is, men- is going to be mentioned again, so that's going to be a significant detail. Go back in the house and shut the door, and then begin pouring out the oil into the jars you collect. And he says, so, okay, what am I supposed to do? I've got one jar, and you want me to go collect a few more? So what, do I just pour like a little bit? Do I evenly spread it out? No, no, no. What he says is, start filling one until it's full. There's some kind of miracle that's going to be happening here. 
okay, you want me to gather jars? It's already, already I mean, it's going to be really vulnerable to knock on the door and like, oh, it's so-and-so. I oh, man, she's, she's really struggling. Hey, I need a bunch of empty jars. For, you have nothing. What do you need these jars for? I mean, it's vulnerable. It's risky. How is she going to explain this? She's got to go ask for jars, and she's got to bring them back. And, and Elisha tells her how many to get. Did you notice? She got three, 30, 300, 30,000. How many jars is she supposed to collect? All he says is not too few. In this perfect ambiguity, like Mr. Miyagi style. <laughs> not too few. So what's she going to do? Let's see. Let's finish up the story. So she went from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons. And as she poured, they brought the vessels to her. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another. Then the oil stopped flowing. Then the oil stopped flowing. She came and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on the rest. I love that it doesn't really tell us, um, it doesn't even really talk about her going to her neighbors, it just implies that she did. It doesn't ever tell us how many vessels that she got, and it doesn't even tell us, like, what, how, did, how did it all play out? All it says is Elisha, it keeps it a mystery for us who are reading it think intentionally. It just says that she goes to Elisha and he says, okay, so pay off your debts, live on the rest. So how many jars did she collect? Three. Maybe she barely paid off her debts and had food for a day. Maybe 30 paid off her debts, lived for a year. Maybe 3,000, she became the regional oil tycoon of that whole area. Who knows? <laughs> we don't know. All we know is she was instructed to not get too few. Now, I want you to think about this dynamic. She has one jar of oil. Now, if you're pouring out one jar of oil into another jar until it's full, how many jars do you need? One. One jar into one jar. So what is too many? Two. Two jars is one too many. Three jars is ridiculous. You only have one jar. So how many jars does she get? So I, I don't know. Maybe she had six. You know however many she got, six or 60. She's looking at all those jars. And you know there had to be a moment where she or one of the sons or maybe all of them were like, this is ridiculous. We have too many jars. Why did we do this? Two or three is fine. But now, we're, I mean, we're going to go back to our neighbors and give them a bunch of empty jars. It's going to be super awkward. I mean, why did we do this? We have too many. And so what happened? She starts pouring out the, the, the oil. I, I picture she had nothing, no food. So I picture she's got a jar full of oil. And, and she starts pouring it. And I always like to think, like, when is it that she realized a miracle was happening? Like, what was the moment when they realized? What was the moment when they went from, like, this is so dumb to, like, oh, my goodness, something incredible is happening? I picture, this is how I picture it. She starts pouring it. She just tilts it a little bit and it's pouring out. And this unbelievable phenomenon happens where she's watching the jar on the floor fill up, but this one's not getting any lighter. And the level of oil is coming up, but she's not tipping it anymore because it's still just flowing like it's full. And all of a sudden, 
They don't say anything. They look at each other like, this is, a, do you see this? And then all of a sudden it's about to overflow. And she's like, bring me a jar. And the, and the boys are just standing there. And they rush and they get another jar. And she's filling it. And now she's just laughing. She can't believe it. This jar is not getting any lighter. And this one's filling up. Bring me another one. Bring me another one. She brings another one. She keeps doing that. Bring me another one. Another one. Then finally she says, bring me another one. And there was no more jars left. It, it says when stopped flowing when the last jar that they had collected filled up that's as far as the oil went you know what's interesting is is when they went around collecting jars they came in and they shut the door behind them why because if it's me and I'm one of the sons I'm seeing and by jar three I'm like okay dude you're going to bring the jars. I'm going to more neighbors. There's a street in the town. I didn't get to that street. I got to go get some more jars. I mean, we, we, we completely underestimated because here's the thing. Once the jars are filled, now what are they thinking? We got too few. If you filled up 3,000 jars, you're like, should have got 6,000. We could have had 30,000. See, before the provision, it always kind of feels like, oh, I don't know. I think we got too much here. After the provision, it's like, man, we didn't even come close. See, God doesn't always work like this, but he did something unique in here in the journey of this woman, and it's for us who are reading it. Sometimes the way that God provides is in direct proportion to our faith. Sometimes he blows our faith out of the water. I think that's probably usually what happens. He does exceedingly and abundantly more than all that we can ask or imagine. we, We just have a faith of a mustard seed and he comes through with even our own salvation that you know, we have very little faith for maybe at first and then it grows into, into a, a, a tiny seed, but it grows into a large tree. You know, usually he just way blows our, our faith out of proportion. But sometimes what he does intentionally in this story and sometimes he does it in our stories to teach us something is he fills just the number of jars we got ahead of time in faith. To the degree that we had faith ahead of time, sometimes it's to the degree, the exact degree that he provides. See, there's so much in here that that we learn. It tells us something about faith. First of all, faith, it, it requires action. Faith is not theory. That's doctrine. That's beliefs. Faith is action. If we just like, well, yeah, no, no, I believe that God's all-powerful. I believe God provides. Well, then why don't you do this like he told you to? Well, I don't know. It's too risky. That's when belief and doctrine has not turned into faith. Faith is action. Faith is knocking on doors and gathering jars before you even know what's going to happen. Faith is action. Faith precedes the provision Otherwise, it's not faith. It's knowledge. If we know what's going to happen, it's not faith. 
If we know what's going to happen before it happens, then we're relying on foresight. We're relying on projections. We're relying on our knowledge. We're relying on our planning ability. We're relying on our strategy. We're relying on our logic. We're relying on our own minds. No, faith is action before God provides, before we know how he's going to come through, before, he, before we see how he saves the day. Faith is action, and it's a certain type of action. It's an action that we're actually stepping out when it feels risky. If it doesn't feel risky, it's probably not faith. It feels risky because the only thing that would make us take that step is that we're putting into practice something we believe about God. See, sometimes Christians, we, um, we're surprised when we're faced with a step of faith. Oh, God, what are you doing? I don't know. I mean, what's going to happen? This is so uncomfortable. Like, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I could do this. I should do this. I probably uh, better do that. But I don't know. I, I mean, this is, I, I need to just ask some more people. Or maybe I read the Bible wrong. Or I don't, this feels super uncomfortable. We're shocked when we're called to take a step of faith. And yet we call this journey we're on our faith. So why are we surprised that there's steps of faith? Christian, Be ready. Get comfortable with it feeling risky often in your life because virtually every season of your life, he is going to put an opportunity to take action before you know how he is going to provide. Faith is action. It's part of the journey. He loves giving us opportunities to take action in faith. In fact, what the Bible says is, without faith, it's impossible to please him. Why? Because faith is showing ourselves what God knows is in our heart. Faith is showing ourselves that we know we aren't God. Faith is showing ourselves, is living out the reality that he's the provider. It's, faith is treating God like he's actually God. Faith is action. But faith is a particular type of action Faith is action initiated by the Father. This whole idea of the jars was not this woman's idea. She probably wouldn't have picked it. Could we have done something that didn't include all of my neighbors? That's really uncomfortable. She probably wouldn't have picked it. She didn't come up with it, and God designed it specifically for his exact provision to be perfectly matching the exact proportion of her faith. See, faith is action. It's action initiated by the Father. Sometimes the problem we fall into is we're surprised that he's put a faith step in front of us. Sometimes the, the problem we run into is it feels, it, we, what we're doing is a risk that God didn't initiate. Look, I really can't afford to buy this Lamborghini, but... Um, I'm going to take the risk. God's going to bail me out, okay? He's going to help me. I mean, it's going to be repossessed by about month four, but I know God is going to provide, okay? God's like, I don't know. Not going to do that, okay? That's not faith. That's not treating God like he's God. That's me being God and expecting God to be my genie. See, faith is taking action, action initiated by the Father, 
It, it's, um, it's not faith when, when I'm like, I think I'm going to continue in this relationship, even though every person is saying, this relationship, this, this person you're dating, you're not ready. They're not ready. There's brokenness. This isn't good for you. You're, it's taking you down a bad path. No, 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 no. God's going to help me. God's going to provide. I, I think he's there. When everyone else that you love and trust is saying, stop. It's not faith to just keep going in it. That's not necessarily initiated by the Father. Faith is action. Action initiated by the Father. And here's the good news. If it's initiated by the Father, it may feel risky. But it's not, is it? If he initiated it, there's no risk. Do you know who your Father is? He wields galaxies, speaking them into existence, and owns everything on planet Earth, including you. It's, it's no risk whatsoever. It feels risky. Not, it's not risky if your father initiated it. And here's the other good news. It's not just the Almighty that's initiating it. It's not just some sovereign being in the cold, clinical design of his will saying, you will do this because I'm the king and you're my subject. You may not like it. It may not be good for you, but it's part of my plan. You need to do it. It's your father. He knows you. Knows your limits. Knows what he's trying to grow in you. Knows your story. It's, an, it's initiated by someone who loves you more than you can imagine. Faith is action, action initiated by your father. City Rev, this is part of our origin story. Part of who we are as a, as a church together is people who have together taken steps of faith. We've been called to take an action that feels risky at times, but it was initiated by the father, so we gladly did it and saw him provide afterwards. Like, let me just tell you part of our, our story. Those of you who remember where we were all seated when we gathered before we were in this room, you remember one of those moments where we took a faith step. Before we were in this room, we were in the cafeteria of a school. Um, it looked a little bit like this. We've got a picture of it. Here's where we were in the, in the cafeteria. We, that's pretty much all of us right there. And... Uh, we were gathered, that's the, as best I can tell, that's the final Sunday we gathered in there. In fact, I'm, I'm looking at this picture and I'm looking around the room and I see a few of you in that picture. Um, maybe some of you are also watching online and you're in that picture. Those of you in that picture, some of you have since graduated from high school, got married, have children. Some of you in that picture now have grandchildren since that picture was taken, but that was taken about 11 years ago. And we were going, um, it, we were in that uh, room, and then the next weekend, it looked like this. Go on to the next picture. The next weekend, we were in that room. That's this. You can see, man, it looks so much different since then. And um, we, that was a big faith step for us to take in there. Go to the next picture, because um, you can't tell by that first picture, but we only had chairs set up halfway back in the room. You see, there's a large walkway back there at the back. And so we moved into that place with one service and just saying, God, are you ever going to fill that jar? 
we, we've, got a, we've got a jar that's bigger than we need. And in fact, God, if you don't fill that jar all the way, we can't afford that jar. And, but we said, but I think that you're, you're, planning on making us, you're planning on us taking this step. And since, Father, you've initiated this, we're going to go gather that jar. And we, we moved into this space. And over the years, have grown to not only filling this room up for a service, but multiple services. And we've seen how he, unless he came through, it was an impossibility. But we took the actions initiated by our Father. And so we're at a moment now where he's saying, okay, hey, City Rev, it's now time to take another faith step. It's time to go gather another jar. Let me show you what that next jar looks like. It, it looks like this. There's another jar. And right now, it's sitting empty. Go to the next picture. I want to show you what I, I see because this passage is sewn into our story. I want you to see each one of those chairs, something like seven or 800 chairs in that auditorium. And you know what each one of those chairs are? It's an empty jar. It's an empty jar that has a soul, a mom, a dad, a teenager, a grandparent, a young adult, someone who just moved to South Florida, someone who grew up in South Florida. There's going to be someone sitting in there that you've invited or a friend that you know, or maybe they, they go to that school and they, they bring their parents back, or maybe it's a teacher that goes there. God, we believe because we know our story and what he's baked into our story. When God says, go collect a jar, initially it might say, wow, that's a big jar. But in the end, we'll be like, oh, it was too small. When God tells us to go collect jars, we've learned to go collect jars. Here's the dynamic of faith that we've learned, is that God does this work of faith both together with us collectively, for starters. He calls us as a community to take steps of faith together, which is, is the most fun because we link arms and we draw from each other's faith and we step in and we say, what are you going to do through us, your church, and this is one of those moments. And so here's what I want to encourage you. Those of you who were looking at that picture in the cafeteria, many of your faces, I see smiles break across your face as you remember those days and what it was like and all of the ways God has provided. You remember those days and there's a joy. There's a sweet, subtle joy as you remember the privilege of getting to be a part of that story all the way back when we took a major faith step. And so here's what I want for you who's now a part of the City Rev story that God is writing. Don't miss this opportunity to take a step and be involved in this faith step. Because if he's brought you here and if this is your church, he's writing a story with your life. And in 10 years, as we're rounding the bend to the 30-year anniversary, no telling how many jars he's going to have filled. And I don't want you to miss out on looking back and saying, I got to see up close God do something Take a step in on what he's doing through us together. Find a place to serve. Find a place to get involved. Don't miss how God wants to work through us together. But there's another dynamic. He, he calls each one of us to take individual faith steps. It's just a part of the rhythm of our life. We get uncomfortable. We feel the risk and then realize his character traits. It was never a risk at all. So what is the faith step that's in your life 
in this season. Maybe it's something to do with your job, your career. Maybe it's the faith to stay because he hasn't directed you otherwise. Maybe it's the faith to go and you don't yet know how he's going to provide. Maybe it's something relationally. Maybe it's the faith to end something or to set up a boundary somewhere. Or maybe it's the faith to stay engaged and lean in on a relationship. Uh, maybe it's a, a, a journey with your health. And it's the faith to wake up tomorrow morning and despite the circumstances, you have the faith to have an attitude of rest and joy, trusting that he is going to provide. Maybe it's a faith journey in your finances where you say, look, I, I want to surrender my finances and I want to be generous, but man, if I'm generous, I don't know how you're going to provide. And maybe he's saying, yeah, that's the point. I want to show you who's really been providing for you this whole time. And he's saying, whatever it is, he's saying, I've got a faith step just for you designed by your father. Don't be surprised. But take action because your father initiated it. You know, as I'm thinking about Father's Day, I'm thinking about these quintessential moments with my kids of feeling like a dad. And there's this one moment that I remember feeling like, this is like the quintessential dad moment. And it's my, my two older kids when I taught each of them at different ages how to ride their bike without training wheels. And so I remember um, with uh, Scarlett, the oldest, the oldest, and then Nehemiah, and one day with Hope, but I remember what we did is we, we took out the bike, training wheels were freshly off, the tassels were still off the side, and we, uh, we, we put it in the back of the minivan, put the bike helmet in there, closed the back, and, and drove to a park where there's a long, straight stretch of sidewalk, and I'm pumping them up the whole time. You're going to do it. Today's the day. It's going to be awesome. And, and um, I'm super excited for them because what do I know? I know like once they learn to ride their bicycle, I mean, it's like the kid version of driving a car. You've got freedom. You're, you have this little vehicle. You can go around the neighborhood. And, and it's just, I want that freedom for them. And so we get out, uh, um, we get to the, the field and we get out and we get on the bike and I've explained to them the, the mechanics of it, but they just, they just got to get on the bike and start pedaling. And so they get on the bike and, and and um, I've got the handlebars, I've got the back of the seat, and slowly they start pedaling, and I'm walking behind them, and now I'm holding the back of the seat, and they're going like this, and they're pedaling, and they're like, Dad, you're still there, and I'm like 30 feet behind, yeah, you're doing great, okay, and then they crash, and they look back, and they see that I wasn't there, and I'm like, okay, I've got to rebuild some trust now, okay, and so I go up, and, and they're, they've got like skin knees, and I'm like, hey, it's all, you know, they're crying, they don't want to do it, but I'm, I'm kind of pushing them, and I'm like, look, I, you know, I, I told you on the ride over here, you might get a little bit hurt, but this is part of the journey. You got to get back on it. And here's the thing. When you're wobbling, you got to just keep pedaling. Like if you stop and it's when you stop and brace yourself, that's when you fall over. You got to pedal through it, which is a major step of faith. And like, I don't know. I don't want to keep pedaling. It feels more wise to like careen into the grass and put my legs out. But no, you got to keep pedaling. You got to pedal through it. And so they have to trust their dad. And, we, we, uh, and I'm, I'm pushing them. And there's this tension where I'm trying to stretch them because as their dad, I, I think I know their limit. And I'm trying to stretch them to their limit and push them because I know that they can get there. And I know how much fun they will have if they learn to ride their bike. But I'm trying to stretch them just far enough, you know, without them like having to go to the hospital. Okay, and, and that's a tension that 
yeah, I don't think I always did really well. Like there's times I'm driving home, there's weeping in the back seat, and I'm like, okay, that did not go well, okay? But that's, the, that's what we do as dads. You know, we're imperfect at it, but we try and push them. We know their limit, and we're trying to stretch them, and we know there's going to be bumps and bruises and, and some skin knees, but we're trying to stretch them because we, have a, we, have, we, we can see something they can't see, but it's stretching their faith. See, here's the thing, the one who's initiating the faith step for you and the faith step for us, he's your father. But he's not a father like you and me. He's a perfect father. He knows your limits and how you need to be stretched more than you do. He can perfectly protect you. There may be some skin knees along the way, but he's perfectly having a plan that's rolling out in your life. And he has a vision for you. A vision for your freedom that he's stretching you on. And he has a vision for us together as a church. So how many jars are we going to go collect? Are we going to take a faith step in obedience to our Father. Some of you, the big faith step is acknowledging Him as your Father. You say, look, I feel like I'm so far from God right now. I'm not sure He wants to have anything to do with me. No, no, you're wrong. He's a Father that loves you more than you can imagine. And if you feel far, He's scanning the horizon for you. Run back to Him today. Your Heavenly Father has open arms. He wants to take you into his arms and remind you how much he loves you. He's your heavenly father at great cost to himself. It's the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross, rose again from the dead. It's the, the blood of Jesus, God in the flesh. That's how much he loves you. That's how he made a way for you to become a son or daughter of the father. He adopted you in. Receive that gift of adoption today through the work of Jesus. Take that step of faith. I want to lead you in a prayer if you want to take that step. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? If you're watching online, would you just bow your head with me? I want to lead you in a prayer. If you're ready to take that faith step and follow after Jesus, just repeat this prayer after me. Say, just silently in your heart, just say this. He hears you. Your Father hears you. Say, Father God, I, I believe that you want me in your family. I believe you want to be my father. And I believe that that came at great cost to you. I believe that Jesus died on the cross and he rose again. And that's the work that saves me. So I take a step of faith. I put my trust in you and I surrender to you. I give you my life in Jesus' name, amen. If that was your prayer just then, if you're watching online, I want you to go to cityrev.org faith. That link is there in the comments. If you're here, if that was your prayer, grab this Get Connected card. 
And on the front, it says, um, spiritually, I, and then it says, put my faith in Jesus for the first time. If that was your prayer, just then, if you found salvation, if you accepted the fatherhood of God as he's accepted you, just check that box. I put my faith in Jesus for the first time. Put that in one of the offering boxes as you leave. We want to send you a Bible. If you're here, you can actually take that to the tent in the parking lot. We have a Bible for you. We want to celebrate with you. If you are going to cityrev.org slash faith, fill that out. We will mail you a Bible. We just want to celebrate with you what God is doing in your life. Church, we are going to close with a song that reminds us who our Father is. He's one that's all-powerful. He's one that has a mission to bring the, the kingdom of heaven down here to the, to the kingdoms of this world and wants to use the, us in that process. He's one that is so powerful and so active that he brings down strongholds. He's at work in our lives, in our families, and in our city. And we're going to declare that and celebrate that together. Would you stand with me as we close with this song? Thanks for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at cityrev.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, you can email us at podcast at cityrev.org.